0: This is Jan Cox, talk number 2514, recorded April 19, 2000. Oh, first, uh, some of you might be interested. I read in today's Times uh, that the first week in June, uh, the Brooklyn uh, Shakespeare Festival will be presenting Hamlet. To be or what? <laughs> <laughs> All right, here's what I... First, I'm going to try to read through all this. I know I'll be tempted to stop. But it's about... Well, I wrote an introductory page. Let me read it first. Remember, when you achieve enlightenment... Jesus. When you achieve enlightenment by my method, there's no limit to the amount of money you can make working part-time at home. (laughs) And and everything you cook will be virtually (laughs) grease-free. And someone asked us, how does my approach differ from all others? All right. In ordinary systems touted as paths to super understanding, the method is always one of studying, that is, talking about objects men find in a box. My approach is to investigate the box. Nothing but the box. Well, once a quick study of the objects is affected and out of the way. Without a man understands the nature of the box, he understands nothing. He, who, he whose investigation of the box leads him to a full realization of its essence can then look into the box, look outside of the box, and see for himself that life is as it is, regardless of what you say. And someone else asks what it takes to be to successfully execute such an investigation. So here it is. The requirements to be an investigator are you must be alert. Impartial, intrepid, relentless, and unpitying, be verbally adventurous, always open to new wording and fresh descriptions of things, and be born with a special, not overly aggressive dissatisfaction, and with a certain naturally balanced affinity for the two worlds of movement and words. Remember, when you complete my course, you have become a fully accredited investigator, (laughs) and you can travel cost-free throughout the world without leaving home and safely stick your nose even into the most private affairs of life. All right, Uh, before I actually start reading, I want to point out that I just gave away the model that I (coughs) strongly, highly recommend. I'm aware that I continually say that this is my favorite model. Or this is, of all the things that has struck my head of, usually I don't put a condition, but of all the things that I have ever seen, this is my favorite. It is. I got to tell you again. Uh, I have long pondered I had certain models hit me, that they, they may strike you as being quite similar, such as seeing the world, man's world, divided into the world of thought and the world of action. And I have, many years ago, even used that briefly. Or to see it divided into, and don't take this, it, well, I'm saying it to me, it was not simply a change in words. But then I've seen it divided into Deeds and ideas. All I can do is tell you how pregnant with thus far unlimited potential. In fact, I have, since I've been stalling and waiting to talk to you about it, I literally have to not think about it. Or else that's all I would come talking about. And as I said, I was waiting for the auspicious occasion. The model, which remember it's a model of us living in two worlds, the world of movement and the world of words. And I feel sorry for you if you dismiss it or if you think, well, you've said that before. I have never said that before. I have said the world of action and the world of thought years ago before I knew even you, most of you, if memory serves. But I still wouldn't be surprised if you do not believe that I have said this before but I have not. The world of movement and the world of words. So here's what I wrote before I start talking on it. An experienced investigator told his son, quote, there are two areas of life-threatening activity for man, the world of movement and the world of words. One of them threatens us all, and one, only the unenlightened. And you be sure also that you understand from the onset what I mean by my model of man living in two worlds, one world of movement and another world of words. Note how this new schematic overlays a previous one that presented man as inhabiting twin realms of the primary and secondary realities. To wit, the primary world consists of man's physical environment and his movements therein, while the secondary world is composed entirely of words and thoughts. But for our specific interest tonight, keep foremost in mind that the primary world is a world of movements, and the secondary world is a world of words. Movement makes life possible. Words makes it better. (coughs) Investigators initially, by the way, find this statement in need of conditions and exceptions. But those who bring the investigation to a satisfying consummation are eventually returned to its original simple reality. The growth, retreat, then growth again of civilization is a battle between the worlds of movement and words and is locally played out continually within each human. It is played out in a singular fashion in the few who believe that there is more, or perhaps less, to laugh than life normally lets on. Hence the special, generally unrecognized investigation undertaken by these few to get to the bottom of this relationship between movement and words. But yet an inquiry whose uh, efficacy is inherently inhibited by the fact that the investigation is carried on entirely in the realm of words, at least until the junior Sherlock catches on to what's going on. Does anyone personally realize by now what the struggle for awakening actually is? It is the attempt to make two out of one. Which, if anybody likes a hint, that's probably my next big model to talk about whenever I get around to it, but I couldn't resist slipping it in. After hearing psychoanalysis dismissed as a quote, mental illness camouflaged as a treatment for mental illness, one man thought, one man thought, I don't even want to think about how this might apply to my attempts to awaken. <laughs> and here I made a note to myself to insert a long pause. <laughs> then say, All right, I will say aloud what that gentleman didn't even want to think about. What if our attempts to awaken from the mystic state of sleep is itself a manifestation of being asleep? (laughs) The possibility at first sounds brutal, but consider, would it not make perfect sense? (laughs) Well, I shouldn't give it away. (laughs) We'll leave it as a question. (laughs) Who knows? (laughs) To be or what? (laughs) Note, men speak words about movement and speak words about other words. This is the general distinction between fiction and philosophy, history and religion, which explains the popularity of histories of religions and biographies of philosophers <laughs> neither of which have anything to do with the professed importance of either religion or philosophy which is supposed to be in their ideas but what such histories and biographies are unwittingly attempting to do is to have the best of both the world of movement and the world of words it's as plain and clear to see as can be for he with one good eye. A father so advised his smaller version, quote, All peoples live under a tyrant. But remember, the one thing tyranny cannot withstand is laughing. And his son asked, Does this also apply to stupidity? Boy, does it ever, he replied with a hearty chuckle. And how about To uncertainty, the lad asked. Hot damn a mighty yes, roared the thoroughly delighted elder. Then the lad asked, And does it also apply even to my most serious thoughts? And but now the old man was too overcome with glee to be able to reply. And one man's brain made a mental note to itself Be careful about this laughing thing watch it was it not for the realm of words no one would know of the horrors of the world but only about life in their immediate vicinity on their little plot of land and further note was it not for words you wouldn't know of the horrors of being asleep but only about the life you lead through movements. A man, for example, might be naturally clumsy, but without the world of words, he would not equate that with being asleep. Your attention can be held by movements and it can be captured by words One is explainable by instinct, the other by being a run-of-the-mill homo sapien. The reality of movement is in the now, while that of words is always just to one side or the other of the moment. In other words, you can only move now. But everything that you say is always, to at least some degree, on one side or the other of right now. It's even better than I remember it. I'm telling you, right there is the basis of a world-class mystical system to attract the interested, the gullible, and small goldfish. Here's some more of the reality behind my indifference indicative of enlightenment. No one really gives a damn unless someone is standing on their foot. All else is your words giving a damn about someone else's words. And I ask you, what is that all about? (laughs) If words, other people's or your own, still have the ability to annoy you, Then you, I hate to say, yet snooze. Hmm, pondered one man deeply. Which is the most captious, the serious but foolish words of others, or my serious foolish words in response to theirs? Then he thought, I guess I'm lucky that no one but me knows what goes on in my head. Huh? You call that lucky? (laughs) The view from one man's perspective, the more you think about other people, the dumber they seem. Yeah. (laughs) Unless they are physically threatening to him, only a childish man is bothered by the movements of others, and only a truly foolish man is perturbed by their words. Your degree of enlightenment can be measured by the size of the things that still bug you. Something you might watch out for since it seems to take effort to talk. It is easy to overlook the difference between that and movement. It is normal, human, and expected for a person to attribute the same gravity to their words as they do their movements. This is normal, human, and expected of the civilized. And this is also the state of walking around in internal darkness. There is yet another aspect of this which an alert investigator should investigate. Your movements affect your words, and your words can affect your movements, and unless you make use of both your eyes, you will, at any given moment, have the perception that one of the two is clearly in control. If you are less than fully alert, it will seem as though either your movements are affecting and driving your words, or else your words are directing your movements. To see it in this way is an error. It is to again separate man from his environment, which is only possible inwards. This is the disastrously distracting attempt to make two out of one. There is indeed both the world of movement and the world of words, but they are no more separate than is the letter A from the sound that says it. In the secondary arena, when one man bests another man in an argument, he triumphs not by intelligence, but by words. Even those labeled learned and intelligent in the routine world fail to grasp this. And a man, I gotta stop. Uh, As I said, this is so nationwide. This is so cosmic that there is no good starting place, but I knew I would hit one. That's why I warned you in advance. Uh, So I might as well take off here. But first, let me remind you one more time. I can see it as clearly as a model. It is fallacious. It is arbitrary and it is ad hoc. But as opposed to such models, my most recent one, of returning again to man being driven through an internal division of labor and energy and analyzations of his red, blue, and yellow circuits, to expand it, and this simply overlays it, I'm telling you the model that I see, and I have never seen an end to its usefulness, into some areas that may surprise you. It explains hand gestures, <laughs> for one, which is something that has bugged me for many years, if you all know the truth. And I thought I was beginning to get partially defogged when I read recently that someone claimed some neurosurgeons, some neurologists, cognitive neuropsychologists, claimed that uh, they had, without any question, found that, or somebody realized that the area of the brain primarily in charge of speech had heretofore unrecognized direct connections to the afferent areas of the brain that control the arms and the hands. And so when I first read that... In fact, they didn't even say anything about gestures, but they just found it interesting and it was something supposedly never been realized. And I thought, well, that almost settled it for me. Then that explains because I have i have never been satisfied. Not, doesn't bother me as much as, you know, why there's only one shoe in the road. But it has certainly been a hobby of mine. As to why? And it seems almost impossible. People have to make a willful effort. And if you never have, then you don't seem to notice it. But if you watch everybody from the president to the pope, it is unnatural to see someone speak and not make hand gestures. And once you realize it, you also are aware of the fact that they have to willfully make themselves not make hand gestures. And so and it was it's easy to dismiss and say, well, they're Italian. The whole world's not Italian. <laughs> And you can say, well, if they're not Italian, they're Jewish. I know people that claim to be neither. No, I don't know. So I don't find it explained in that sort of way. But my model I'm giving you, it hit me, and I understand why. It's beautiful. And it's not just that. It's tied to everything else. But back to reminding you that the model, now oh, I'll get to it sometime. That the model is simply that everything we do everything can be divided in this one model for this purpose that look at it you everybody else people individually people collectively at any given time people are e- either being driven either involved and of course they can both happen but you can see them as being separate but they that there are two worlds one is of movement and as far as a discussable model it is discrete from words, that words are one thing and movements are another. And using that model, uh, if you try it sincerely, as far as long as you people have trailed and let me drag you, I cannot help but believe that you will have all kinds of amusing, if not enlightening experiences, that you're surrounded by things that, again, I will assume I may be giving to your discredit assuming that everyone is almost as dumb in the same kind of ways that I have been throughout life. So I'm assuming that you, there are many things that you haven't seen in this way. But many things that I'm sure that either bother you or that you had a curiosity about like hand gestures or why do people appear to be so stupid in this one regard? Why does there seem to be the world run or why does it seem to me to be seen through a gauze of irony? Why do people seem to be so, their actions so far removed from their words? If you see this, just all sorts of things become clear, things that you will never read about anywhere. And so here's one where I stopped. It says, in the secondary arena, which just means out in ordinary life, When two people are in an argument, a debate, but when they're in an argument, and if you're listening in, or if you were a participant, you know that if both of them are interested enough, one will eventually, apparently, triumph. That if there are any spectators around listening, that at the end, finally, and you know the end, you can always tell it's like both of them become exhausted, or one does, he knows it, another person seems to know it, he delivers the verbal coup de grace. And it's like the second, the person, one of the people, it's like, they, well, it's not light, they fall silent. They end the argument, they end the debate, and it's obvious that at that moment, they submit. And perhaps if they are fairly civilized men, the one who submits, if he were asked about it, but his body language, his expression. You can feel, oftentimes, that he is actually saying, tacitly, he is saying, well, you know, I can't argue with the last guy's final statement. Perhaps they had been debating some you know, political, moral, religious, any kind of item. And let's say they've been playing this, apparently, you would think, ordinarily it would be described as being intellectual ping-pong back and forth. And one guy will raise one point and a guy will counter it and then the guy will counter that counter and a guy will have an objection, he'll raise another point. But if it goes on and they're both interested in the matter, you know that eventually one seems to deliver the final blow. And as I said, oftentimes he who submits will be saying, at least non-verbally, he'll be saying though that well, you know, your logic overcame me finally. That is not so. It was not a triumph of intellect. It was not a triumph of intelligence. Now here's where you gotta see, now I'm just using intelligence in the ordinary sense that people ordinarily take it to be. And no one ever notices this. It is not a triumph of one guy's intelligence over the other. It was a triumph of one thing, words. Well, believe me, you do not see my model directly or some of you sitting here in this room would have had to get up and leave the room. So believe me, on the basis of have I ever misled you before, you can believe me that the simplicity of this is deceiving. And what I just said about an argument, I don't have in mind some specific kind of argument over some specific subject, I'm saying any two people discussing anything, an intellectual subject, and one finally appears to triumph over the other, any intelligent, well, six million people on this planet, if they were watching it, and I said, what just happened? They would in some way describe, well, that one guy outsmarted the other one, or the other, that one guy, the one who seemed to triumph, they would say, he had more facts. He was more intelligent on the subject. He had more to back him up. That's not true. That is not what happened. It was a triumph of words, period. Well, other than Fran, Believe me, no offense to you, but believe me, I'm encouraging you to pursue it on your own. Believe me, you don't get it. Or you couldn't sit there looking at me. It damn near answers everything that all metaphysicians and philosophers, religious philosophers, have pondered for thousands of years. I slipped it in to the introductory page. had the thing that no one got it, perhaps the way I wrote it. I said to what men, philosophers, religious thinkers, all manner of so-called intellectual people, but especially mystics, especially people with our kind of interest, well, and philosophers, I like to include them, what they engage in, always have and continue to do, what they engage in is a study which is simply a talking about. So if you got it, that would wake you up. At any rate, what they engage in is a study of objects they find in a box. And I said the difference between that and my method, using method, of course, loosely, is a study of the box is all that is of interest. It is all that is ultimately profitable. And when I say that philosophers and mystics study objects found in a box, you do understand that objects is a metaphor. Well, when I, well, all right, that's, it's more than that. Let me be more specific. When I say objects, I, I mean objects of a non-material nature that men discuss uh, is there is their objective right and wrong? Does the truth actually exist apart from a lie? Does reality exist as apart from delusion? Is death something different than life? Or is there life after death? Is there a God? All of the so-called now, occurred most of them, but the handful of so-called pressing matters—that's the objects I mean—that man has always asked himself, all the way from professional academic philosophers down to the guy on the street corner: Do I live after I die? Is there an objective, universal sense of morality? Are there things that are in se evil? Just evil in and of themselves, all of these questions, these are objects that men found in a box. They found them in a box. No one investigates the box. They spend their life investigating, debating, pondering, meditating on the objects. And I said that someone asked, how did my approach differ from that? My approach differs in that only the box is worthy of study. There are two ways to look at it. If you understand the box, you understand everything that apparently is in it. Conversely, if you do not understand the box, you do not understand anything. And you will never understand anything. Never. Men debate. They debate with themselves, but it's easier to see. They debate and argue in the broader sense of the word, discuss these objects. And someone always, as I said, if they're both equally interested in the subject, in the object, men discuss things, and it can either be in an instant situation of two people, or you can look at it over a time spread in history, like of the Jewish view of the proper way to live, the proper attitude toward one's fellow man. You can see it as being an ongoing debate between that and the Christian view. Or you can see the Christian view as being an, a debate, an ongoing dialogue, as they like to say, a Christian dialogue, with their fellow brother, the Buddhist, over that question. It is going on in little bitty spurts between individuals be just little bitty blips between two people, or long, elongated, continual blips between large groups of people. Apparently, to the mind, even from one era debates these questions. Someone, in any observer's view, someone always triumphs. And the triumph is taken. Whether you agree with the person who apparently triumphed, with the view that apparently triumphed, it appears to be at the moment of triumph, in the moment of resignation of one of the parties, that if you ask anybody, if I ask you, well, what happened? I know I'm repeating myself, but I want to make sure you get it. Any reasonable, intelligent person would say, whether they agreed with what happened or not, they would say, well, between those two people, let's take it back to two people and make it easy to talk about Any intelligent, ordinary observer would say, well, the man who triumphed in the argument, it was a triumph of his intelligence, or his education, or his grasp or availability, his grasp of the facts involved, or his availability, his access to the pertinent thoughts on the subject, and he finally, through dent of his intelligence his ability to recall that which he knew on the subject, it finally overwhelmed. He was of superior intelligence. He was of superior knowledge on the subject to the man who submitted. That is not true. That is not what happens. The guy who submitted realized that the other man's words (coughs) had wrestled him to the floor, and he couldn't compete with him. That's all it is. That's all it ever is. That's all it is now. And when you see that, it'll make you fall on the mat without anybody throwing a hammerlock on you. It'll make you fall down and go. There is no such thing as a triumph of intellect. And when you see it, I'm telling you, it will just blow up all kinds of balloons that you thought were flat, and it will puncture a whole bunch of balloons that you find annoying still hanging around your party. That <laughs> <laughs> it's not, it is not an individual instance, it is not something that happens in an anomalistic manner. That's always it now of course you can see or you will see or probably theoretically you could see right even this second if you don't get the full impact of my model but it's easy to see why men ordinarily consider that it is a triumph of intelligence and sometimes they'll say well it's a triumph even in a wider range they'll say well it's a triumph actually of the truth that they could an observer of two guys arguing you know the nature of good and evil let's just say and one seems to, and they have some example, they always usually have Anyway, so one of them seems to triumph and the other guy gives in for the moment. Like, well, you, know, you got So an observer would say that not only was an argument, was not only was a debate brought to a conclusion and one man's intelligence or one man's view triumphed over another man's, they might also say that if you looked at a wider range, you could say, well, this is a, a continuing conversation going on amongst men, amongst groups of men, like religions, conflicting moral uh, models. And you could say what is happening is there is a continual refinement or a, an approaching to the ultimate truth. That every time, like that this in this one instance, we're observing that this one man's uh, argument, his debate, his Conversation, his dialogue with someone with an opposing view, when he won, when the other man submitted, when the other man, in essence, submitted to a superior view, to superior logic, to superior intelligence, you could also say, well, what this does over a long range is this brings man closer and closer to the objective truth, that every time such an argument takes place or such a debate takes place, and one man's insight, his the intelligence of his perception persuades another man, we as a species have arisen. We have moved closer to the truth. That, if you will pardon me, is balderdash. <laughs> and yet, you know, you've got to know why it seems that way. And why I would have I wouldn't be so foolish, but I'd have my hands full trying to tell an ordinary person that. Look at, I'm having my hands full trying to tell you. Even though you say, well, yeah, I hear you. No, you don't. Trust me. It is never, there is no such thing as a triumph of intelligence or a triumph of the truth. And yet you look at it and you think, well, it is what happened. I know, I know. That one guy was maybe not the truth, but this one guy was closer to the truth. You could think to yourself, well, I sit here and I listen to them both. They were both reasonably intelligent. And at first, uh, both of them had points that persuaded me on both sides. As they bounced the subject back and forth, for a while I think, well, hell, I agree with him. And I think, well, wait a minute. After this other guy responded, I think, no, I agree with him. But then at the end, once this guy on my left went, bye, 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 I thought, Jesus, I would have, oh, that's startling. That is startling in its insight. And then you look to the guy on the right, and he agrees, obviously, because he kind of shrugs like, well, gee. Or maybe even looks surprised like, hmm, you know, you may be right. And so you could think, well, they moved in that one little conversation, that one little dialogue between two individuals of no particular importance. They have, and by me observing it, by being a witness to it, and remembering what they said and being interested, Perhaps all three of us move closer to the truth regarding this one's area. It sure seems that way. It is a sign of real secondary world intelligence for a man to say, to make such observations that, that those kinds of conversations and ongoing dialogues between conflicting views, conflicting men and conflicting collections of men, that they help bring humanity closer to the truth. It seems to be a sign of intelligence, it seems to be a sign of insight to say that. But everybody says that and I'm telling you they're wrong. All it was was one guy was more agile with words. (laughs) That's all it is. Let me remind you again that all this is about my general overall model of the world being two worlds of movement and words. It's not about an argument or debates. But that is what people do not realize. <laughs> I've been trying to talk to you to bring it, make it clear for several years now, my model of the secondary and primary worlds. I could be wrong or correct, but I have never had the feeling that many of you felt as though you got anything out of that. Every time I bring it up, I felt like I was talking to the oil painting again. <laughs> to me, this is a juiced up version. To me, it brought it more alive and I have been dying to bring it up because in many instances, like everything else, you've got to remember this is fallacious, that there are, life is not divided up into two of any goddamn thing. Pardon my scientific <laughs> modification. It is not, but of all the models heretofore up till now, that have come to my little head, this one has been the most bountiful, plus the most enjoyable, which is the same thing. Remember, if you don't like something, you won't believe it. If you don't like it, when I say believe it, you won't even see it as being a possibility. But this has just been, it's hugely enjoyable. You can see it as clearly, again, remembering that man is not divided, that these two worlds are not divided. It happens, in a manner that is observably separate and discreet enough, movements from words, to be able to talk about in a useful way, but like everything else, there is just one universe. There is just one thing. To be or what? What? What's the answer? Not to be, because to be is always (laughs) as opposed to not to be. If you didn't get it, if you don't... Because as friend Shakespeare, is to be or not to be, which is divide life into two things, to be or not to be. Now the real one is to be or what. What? You got it. What? Because what it means, you know, I don't know. You know, there's nothing to say. Now you got it. That's when it's still one. That's when you have not, pardon my French again, but that's when you haven't dickled with it. That means fucked with it. <laughs> That's what they say in southern France. <laughs> you have nothing. Anyway, people all ordinary people. You just you do not find anyone ever pointing this out. It doesn't matter. As far as I know, I discovered it. Just in this way. And it's not just a play on words, and it's not just me changing the words. But you can see, again reminding you that it's all this is one universe. All these descriptions are just ad hoc, these models. But it is just endlessly bountiful and you guys should find it even more so than me to look and see that anything in life you can see that that is either based on specifically related, related to well, I don't want to talk about that you can just look at whatever's going on and say well there is the world <coughs> of movement and there is the world of words and I encourage you if you're going to try it take it don't look for any conditions shades of gradation no exceptions just look at it in the cold blunt discreet manner of it being the world of movement and the world of words and that there are two different things even though they can go on simultaneously and even though they can overlap as I mentioned hand gestures to me I can't wait to bring that one up So I brought it up for you to think about but even though they are amalgamated and they are as inseparable as we are, as planet Earth is from Sagittarius, from the sun, there's all one universe. I should have said our solar system, of course. You can look and it is as plain and enlightening to see that any, any one thing that you can look at, that a man, that any man is doing or has done, <coughs> was in the world of movement or it was in the world of words. Now remember, I, I choose this carefully. It's not the world of action and the world of talk. It's not the world of deeds and the world of ideas. Really, it may, it, all I can do is tell you what worked for me. Those other two didn't cut it. but they did for a while, and I understood. I got great use out of them. the world of action and the world of thought. The world of deeds and then the world of ideas. That second one, by the way, had a real short life on me. I think. Best I recall like a second. Because I'd already had the world of action and the world of thoughts years ago. But I'm telling you, because I wouldn't gesture, for you people on tape The model of it being the world of movement and the world of words, I'm telling you for me, was entirely different and so expansive in its revelations that my previous model of being a world of action and a world of thought seemed childish, all outdated. It's the world of movement and the world of words, not the world of action, the world of movement. Not the world of behavior, the world of movement, and the world of words. Not the world of talk, the world of words. Not the world of ideas, the world of words. Sing is how I don't have to worry about suffering from humility. Well, I already have the gout, so... Turns out there's a universal law. If you have the gout, you don't have to have humility. I've got to tell you, this is a beautiful working model. I didn't get to half of what I just said and wrote for you today. And I could probably talk about this for a long time, but I'm really trying to work up your enthusiasm tonight. I'll finish reading it next time, I guess. But for you to start using it yourself, You just have to base it, you know, like I said, so to speak, to take my word on the basis of if I ever misled you or have you ever tried using anything I pointed out, did you actually try it? It never hurt you. I guess you could. I started saying, you ever wasted your time? I'm sure that some of you felt like you never got anything out of some of mine. But at least you know I'm not, it's not going to hurt you. I don't have some nefarious purpose. It's not going to help me that if you start looking at life as being a world of movement or a world of words. In some way, it'll benefit me. It'll benefit you. It's astounding. But remember, the world of movement. Now you know what I mean? I'm talking about physical movement. You, or whoever you're watching, they move. It's either that world or it's the world of words. Not them talking not you talking, it's the world of movement and the world of words. The failure to understand this model, I could say, without any doubt, is the source, or one, this of course is one verbal model of it, but is the source of all confusion. <laughs> it is the primary manifestation of what mystics call, or I agree, call being asleep. Walking around and not seeing things as they are. Believing that you and life are both something other than it is. That's being asleep. Being awake is to realize that life is as it is, regardless of what you think. That's it. I say to you most strongly That right now, to me, that is the best model that has ever hit my little head. I have had more fun, surely, off of that. Again, I repeat, when I say fun, well, you know what I mean. Not just cheap laughs. I can stay home and look at myself nude in the mirror and have a cheap laugh. (laughs) Never mind that. When I say it's been an endless source of fun, you know what I mean, I'm winking at my fellow investigators. You know, I realized part of what I did was to stall the night and to quit reading and to keep watching the clock. Is I didn't really want to say much more but I didn't want to just bring you here and I feel obligated through habit to talk for at least an hour. It's movements and its words. And if you can see the operational distinction, the operational connection, how one can appear under certain conditions to drive the other, and under other conditions, a split second later, they reverse, that your movements seem to be driving, influencing, if not totally controlling your words, then a split second later, the situation can apparently be reversed You look at the arguments. You look at the, not arguments, they're known um, amongst men, the news media, philosophers, but nowadays the media, sort of our philosophers. But the prevailing, the continuing conflicts between people, those that right now, perhaps two two groups of people could be uh, manifesting themselves in physical conflict, warfare, or not, that they could still be un, still be unengaged in physical conflict. But in either case, you can see that men do not understand when they report it, when they other men discuss what's going on amongst other, two other groups of people, they do not understand the difference. And when you see it, it's so simple, and that's what I'm still trying to warn you about. I'm afraid you look at it and go, well, hell, that's obvious. No, it's not. Believe me, not what I'm pointing to. Not there's something else behind it. But men do not understand. They do not make the distinction between groups of men, and their conflict is wordy, or their conflict is moving. It is there's movement going on, and men continually, you know, as I say, if I discuss it much more, what I'm talking about right now, in case you hadn't already got, if I discuss it much more or put it to you much more, I'm afraid it's going to be so simple they'll fly right by you. But men continually, intelligent, the intelligentsia of the world continue to look right at this situation and not see it. That they do not see that men are in conflict in the world of words and they absolutely mistake it for being something else. When if I point out much plainer, they go well yeah I know they're not actually fighting each other see you're waiting for something else 6 billion people on this planet can look right at a conflict going on between two groups of men and their world of words and mistake it for something else I just hate to put it in plainer, because like I said, if I put in plainer verbally, you're gonna go, and you'll miss it. I'm making you fill in the rest. They look right at two groups of people, and there's a conflict in their world of words. And thoughtful, educated, intelligent men look at it and mistake it for something else. I mean, mistake it for something else. <laughs> Plus, back to a more personal level, you can believe that you are intelligent and, in fact, in a way, beginning to outsmart yourself. That is, that your more enlightened thoughts and tendencies are slowly beginning to overcome, and sometimes instantly, to overcome some of your duller sleeping instincts. That is, the more awake you become, the more you listen to me, or just the more you become awake through your own efforts, the more often, the more handily, your more intelligent, your more awakened views can triumph over your more sleeping and deluded views. Oh, yeah? You still believe that? After me talking about this for 57 minutes? Hey, to be or what? That concludes this talk. Be sure to visit us at JanCox.com, where you can search through 3,000 talks for topics of interest, or just leave us a message.